Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Trying to get a beer before or after a Nats game and are unable to get the bartender's attention? Well, Walters has solved that problem and more. Welcome to Walters, where Walters 24 self pour beer wall awaits you. Ask your server for a beer card and hit the beer wall, pay by the ounce, and try a few suds before you settle on your favorite. Follow us on Untapped to get notified of all the new beers we bring in. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rainey to the belt and now to the plate swinging a long drive left field if it's fair it's gone it's way back there toward the foul pole and it hits the top of the foul pole for a two-run home run 3-1 Miami De La Cruz his fifth he stood and watched to see if it would be fair hit off the very top of the foul pole and welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday July 5th 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we hope that you enjoyed your July 4th. We hope that you ate plenty of hamburgers and hot dogs and drank whatever it is that you wanted to drink. Whatever you did on your July 4th, that probably was more enjoyable than what the Nationals experienced over their last four games. And let us hope that we do not now have a new July 4th weekend Nationals tradition. July 4th weekend 2021, the Nats suffered a four-game sweep to the Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park. July 4th weekend 2022, the Nats suffered a four-game sweep to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park. The Nats now are 1-12 and against the Marlins this season. And we on Monday had another 10-inning loss for the Nats, a 3-2-10 inning loss. So the Nats, since the start of last season now, are 3-16 and in extra inning games. Mark, I'm not sure which record is more perplexing, 1-12 against the Marlins this season or 3-16 and in extra inning games since the start of last season. They're both bad, Al. <laughs> There's no way to make either of those sound good. There is no reason for either of those two facts to be true. And I'll throw another one in there. They've now lost 17 of their last 18 against the NL East. And you say, okay, well, you know, some of those are games against the Mets and the Braves and the Phillies, but it includes a bunch of games against the Marlins. And I want to be kind to Miami here. They've got some very good pitching, but they are not nearly as good a team as they look when they play the Nationals. The Nationals just got swept, did almost nothing against Marlins starters, and they didn't even face their ace, Sandy Alcantara. That tells you everything right there. They faced their two, three, four, five pitchers. Imagine what might have happened if Alcantara had faced them in this series. 
No Alcantara and no Jazz Chisholm Jr. for the Marlins in this series. Chisholm might be the Marlins' best position player. He's out right now with a back issue, and yet still, the Nationals got swept over four games. Yet, to your point to the Nats against the National League East this season, the Nats this season are 9-8 and eight against the NL Central. Not bad. 9-11 and 11 against the National League West. Not bad. 6-28 and 28 against the NL East. That is stunning. I mean, even for a bad rebuilding team like the Nats, 6-28, and 28, you would think that you would luck yourself into, say, I don't know, 10 or 12 wins out of 34 games against your division. 6-28 and 28 is just putrid. And, you know, it's one thing, again, if you're getting ransacked by the, the top teams in the division, and that was happening a little while back, but how many of these games here lately have been winnable? They've been right there for them. If they can make one more pitch, if they can get one more hit, they can make one more play in the field. And it feels like every single time in these games that, that go down to the wire late, they find a way to lose. I mean, it's like you're just waiting for it to happen. You're expecting it to happen. Was anybody surprised when Tanner Rainey gave up a two-run homer off the left field foul pole with two outs? Of course not. Or was anybody surprised when the Nats gave themselves? I mean, they were in position to take the lead late in this game. And was anybody surprised that they squandered it and didn't finish it off? No. They are finding ways to lose. That's what bad teams do. But the rate at which they're doing this, especially against teams like the Marlins, it's almost incomprehensible. I don't know how to explain this one. Well, if you ask the question, why did the Nats get swept by the Marlins? It does start with a Nats offense that was really bad over the four games. And that's in this series, which included right two 10 inning games, totaled a mere 12 runs. We had a parade of double plays in this series. And that's hit into nine double plays, including three double plays in each of the final two games. But I think the name that you just mentioned is the name that sticks with a lot of people, and that is the name of Tanner Rainey. Tanner Rainey in this series for a second consecutive game blew it for the Nats to at least some extent. Tanner Rainey in the top of the 10th on Monday gave up two runs, one earned. He got off to a great start. This is what is so funny here. He struck out the Marlins numbers two and three batters, Jesus Aguilar and Brian Anderson on a total of just seven pitches, but Rainey then gave up another homer, gave up a two-out tie-breaking two-run homer to Brian De La Cruz off the left field foul pole for a 3-1 Marlins lead, 411 feet per stat cast. And then, for good measure, Rainey then issued a walk because it's not a Tanner Rainey outing these days without a walk. And I guess he forgot, oh, I didn't issue my walk yet, so let me go ahead and do that even though I just gave up the two-run bomb. Two-out five-pitch walk of Nick Fortes. And this happens one game after Tanner Rainey blew the save opportunity in the top of the ninth on Sunday afternoon, allowing two runs uh, giving up a two-out, two-run homer to Jesus Sanchez to the second deck, remember, in right field for a 4-3 Marlins lead. So here we are again. I mean, we had this conversation on the last installment of the podcast, so we don't need to repeat ourselves, but man, Tanner Rainey is in a rough place right now. The Nats' bullpen beyond Tanner Rainey was really good in this series. Steve Ciszek was good. Scoreless top of the eighth, two strikeouts on Monday. Kyle Finnegan was good. Scoreless top of the ninth. Rainey got off to a good start. That's what was so maddening about this. And then he gives up the homer to De La Cruz. And that's the thing with him is that it's all or nothing. You know, he's either really got it and he's blowing away hitters or he doesn't and it's either a walk or a homer. We don't see, oh, single, single, double off him. It's walks and homers and the outs are often on strikeouts as well. And it just, it tells you a couple of things. Number one, the stuff is obviously very good and he's pumping in 98, 99 consistently in this game. But 
The stuff isn't so good that he can throw it anywhere. It still needs to be located. And he's not fooling anybody because his slider is probably not all that effective. And they've essentially told him, hey, you throw 99. If you place it well, you're going to be successful. So stick with it. So if you're an opposing uh, hitter, you're sitting back waiting for that 99, especially after you've seen a few of them, hoping you get it in the right spot and connect with it as De La Cruz did. So it's obviously very frustrating to everybody to see how that has played out. Now, the thing about this was Finnegan pitched the ninth and was going to pitch the ninth regardless. Uh, he was warming up. If they took the lead in the bottom of the eighth, it was going to be him in the save situation. So I think you actually had Davey here, at least for one day, acknowledging we're going to go about it a different way. And then because the game went to extras, he decides to go back to Rainey again. But that was not a save situation. Had there been a save situation, it would have been Finnegan on this day. So the Nats begin a three-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies on Tuesday night. If the Nats are leading 3-2 going into the ninth, you think it will be Finnegan and not Rainey to close out that game, that Finnegan right now is Davies' number one guy out of the bullpen? Well, they might both need Tuesday off because they've both pitched two days in a row, so unless somebody wants to go three in a row. But yeah, the next time, I would imagine, especially you know where they are in the lineup, I think is part of this. So look, if the heart of the Phillies lineup is due up in the eighth, I see. I think you'll see Finnegan pitch that, and then they'll figure out if it's going to be Rainey or Ceshek or Edwards or somebody else in the ninth. If, though, it looks like it sets up properly and the ninth is the biggest inning matchup-wise, yeah, I think you're going to see Finnegan the next time that he's available, and that's fine. I mean, I don't know that it's a full-blown switch of roles, but I think at this point, you're not doing anybody any favors to kind of keep doing the same thing. Again, you have to go with a hot hand, and this year is all about you know, learning experience for these guys. Let's see how they handle these roles. And if they can handle them, you want to win games, of course, but you also need to kind of learn a thing or two about your potential foundational pieces. We don't know if these two are or not. So I, my guess would be the next time it comes up, it's probably Finnegan. Yeah. And I think we're seeing this with Rainey. We saw this last year. We've seen this overall during his time with the Nats. He can pitch, but he's just not consistent. And so things can go awry. And they've gone awry here lately. They've been awry for about a month now. And uh, boy, this was not a good series for him. It's, It's amazing to me, too, with relievers, how they can get into these ruts and a guy can have one bad game and then it like spills over into the next game. And you'll see this, like a closer will be lights out for a while and then he'll finally be proven mortal and blow a save. And then the next outing ends up being a bad outing too. You'd say like each outing is its own individual event, but that's that doesn't seem to be the case. Like there is an element here of like one bad outing carrying over into another. And I think this does speak to the mental aspect of the job. We talked about it the other day. There is a difference pitching the ninth inning. You've got the bullseye on you. You know you're the last man out there to end the game, either in victory or potentially blow it. And if you in the back of your mind know, well, I blew it last time or I've been in a rough stretch here, I think it has more to do with that than anything physical. We've seen over the years, some guys know how to do this. The the short memory, they always say you got to have. It's like kickers in the NFL. Why is a kicker who is consistently so good? All of a sudden, he misses one with the game on the line. Next thing you know, he goes into a spiral and, uh, you know, may even lose his job. So I think it's very similar for closers. And it's just you have to be mentally tough enough to shake off whatever happened the night before, good or bad, and come right back the next day and forget about it. And it's just not everyone's not cut out for it. 
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get yourself some Window Nation windows and take advantage of a great offer at 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. Beat the heat with Window Nation. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2024. Yeah, 2024. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow-up service. And Window Nation windows are made right here locally in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. If your current windows are sticking or are drafty or are cracked or are hard to open or are locking when they close, you need new windows Get yourself Window Nation windows, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the deal. Save $200 off any style new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2024. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Roaming Rooster, the best fried chicken sandwich in the DMV, is expanding. You've already seen our location by Section 238 at Nationals Park, but now we have recently opened locations in Pike and Rose in Maryland, and in Virginia, we now have Burke and Chantilly. Our chicken is grain-fed, antibiotic-free, and only free-range. Roaming Rooster is serving homemade enhanced bun milkshakes and frozen custard scoops at select locations and currently working on rolling them out to all locations. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. See if Corbin can finish him off. 3-2 delivery. Swing and a miss. He got him. So Patrick Corbin entered the fifth inning with one strikeout. He strikes out the side at the top of the sixth. Fortes swinging, Stallings looking, and Sanchez swinging. Well, if the outcome of this game was a Nats win, there's a decent chance we might have led this installment of the podcast with the man who was a Nats starting pitcher on Monday. Patrick Corbin was very good for a second consecutive start. I want to repeat that because I feel like I've never said that in the lifespan of the Nats Chat podcast. Patrick Corbin was very good for a second consecutive start. One run in seven innings. Uh, He did give up eight hits, two doubles and six singles. He only had four strikeouts, so he didn't have a ton of strikeouts like he did in his previous outing, but he only issued one walk. He threw a lot of strikes, 97 pitches, uh, 67 strikes 
versus 30 balls, and this comes on the heels of an excellent outing for Corbin this past Tuesday night. A 3-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park. One run in eight innings, 12 strikeouts. Now, I think you have to say the Pirates and the Marlins are two of the lesser hitting teams in the majors, but of course, Patrick Corbin has been one of the worst pitchers in the majors. So I don't know how much it matters who he's facing at this point. It's like if he pitches well, that is reason to say, hey, that's good. That's a positive development. But what'd you think about old Corby for a second straight outing looking good? The strikes was what stuck out to me. I mean, he was pounding the zone. Like you said, only the one walk. Now, they were very aggressive against him, swinging early in the count. And sometimes you can see that being a problem for a pitcher like Corbin if they're making solid contact. Now, he was avoiding the really worst of the contact. Some hits, but they were all pretty much all singles, I think, except for one double that was in there. So what he was doing is he's not just throwing strikes, but he's throwing quality strikes. And he talked about knowing they were aggressive. You can't just lay a first pitch in there over the plate. You got to be quality from the start. His slider, again, the velocity is up, and I think that's helping. Disguise it. It's making it look like the fastball a little bit more. So for, you know, for all that talk of what does he do and how does he find a new way to be successful, he's found it by going back to what he was good at a few years ago. He only threw a handful of change-ups this game. So he's not changing anything in the way he goes about it other than he's throwing the ball a little bit harder and he's locating better and he's getting the results. Now, can he keep doing that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to get too worked up over it, but he's obviously in a better place now than he was a few weeks ago. I mean, he lowered his ERA just in the last two starts. From 660 to 568. And you say, well, he's still at 568. Yeah, but you know how hard it is to reduce your ERA by a full run in the span of two starts in mid-July? That's actually really impressive. And, you know, you hope it can continue to go down. So he's found something here. You hope he can keep it going. But the proof will be, can he do it against better lineups? And I believe his next start will be against the Braves. And that is a much better lineup that he'll be facing next weekend. Yeah, uh, each of his next two starts would seem to be against the Braves because the Nats have two series coming up against the Atlanta Braves before the All-Star break. And the way things appear to be right now is we'll see Corbin at the Braves uh, next weekend and then home to the Braves uh, the following weekend. It'll be a four-game series at Nats Park uh, July 14th through the 17th to close out the pre-All-Star break portion of the season. If he pitches well in those two games, then I think we can start to get excited. I think for now, you got to say, wait and see more. He's faced two pretty bad offensive teams. Although, you know, you talk to some Nats pitchers about the Marlins and the Marlins aren't such a bad offensive team. Uh, But yeah, good job by Patrick Corbin. It's been nice to see this. It's been nice to talk about him in a positive way because you just, you you run out of negative things to say. And it's like, where are we supposed to go here with this guy? Because it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. So, hey, if he's going to stay in the rotation, he might as well pitch well. And he has pitched well. Uh, over these last two outings. But yeah, the offense. I mean, the offense really is a thing for the Nats in this series, doing so little against Marlins pitching. Now, it is worth noting the uh, the Nats did rally. The boys did battle, as uh, Davey Martinez likes to say. We saw the Nats rally in this game on Monday as the Nats rallied in the game on Sunday. So I suppose you give them credit for that. I mean, the Nats on Monday did technically overcome a one nothing eighth inning deficit. But of course, what are you doing being shut out for that long into the game. So Juan Soto did pinch hit on Monday. That was encouraging to see. He did not start the game, uh, but he did pinch hit in the game and he drew a walk. So I guess that is confirmation that this calf issue isn't a serious issue. Yeah. And we talked to Juan before the game. He said the MRI uh, had come back, didn't show any strains. There's just tightness. He thought it would be a day-to-day thing. I 
I was surprised to see him come out uh, of the dugout. I think the whole crowd was thrilled to see him come out of the dugout. That was a genuine big time crowd reaction and anticipation moment that we really haven't had much at all this year. Now, they knew that he couldn't run. So the idea was give us a good quality at bat. Hopefully he gets on base and then send out a pinch runner. And then you just desperately hope he doesn't you know, hit a ball in the gap or a slow roller and have to leg it out. It's funny. I asked Davey uh, Martinez after the game, was the four pitch walk actually like a best case scenario? And he laughed and he said, well, no. Best case scenario that we see him jog. <laughs> second, second best case. Second best case. Yeah, second best case. Yeah, I, I was actually hoping for Kirk Gibson. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Which that would have been something quite special. But, you know, a good sign that he was able to do that. He may still be out of the lineup on Tuesday. It's all going to be about how he can run and how much risk they want to take here. Uh, but he was you know, generally encouraged and not too upset this morning when we talked to him about it. And seems like he avoided anything too major with this injury. The Nats uh, scored their runs on Monday on a Luis Garcia one out RBI single to right field to tie the game at one in that one run eighth and then scored the other run in the bottom of the 10th on a double play ball uh, that was put into play. Uh, by Luis Garcia, just to give you an idea of just what kind of an offensive game this was for the Nats. I mean, one of the Nats' better offensive players in the game ended up being A. Ray Adrianza, who was the Nats' number six batter in this game, to tell you about the state of the lineup. And Adrianza was not the Nats' biggest problem. He had a single and a walk, although why Adrianza was batting ahead of Luis Garcia I don't know. Again, Adrianza wasn't their biggest problem. Do you have any idea why Davey Martinez did that? Why he had Adrianza batting six ahead of Garcia in the seventh spot with how Garcia's been hitting? I don't. And it's in part because this is one of the very rare days that Davey did not hold a pregame press conference because the game was so early at 11 a.m. So they kind of had a condensed pregame schedule. So we didn't really get to ask about that. I had the same thought. My guess is he would tell you that it's the matchup against the lefty and Luis being a lefty, he wanted him down, whereas Adrianza's a switch hitter. I did not think that would be a valid argument for it. If nothing else, the situation you're in, get Luis Garcia at bats, get him experience against lefties, let him see what he can do. Yeah, I didn't like that part of the lineup. But as you said, I want to give Adrianza some love here. We don't talk about him a whole lot. He had a really nice game, especially late in the game. The big walk to set up uh, the rally. He stole second to put himself in position to score on Garcia's single. Single in the 10th to try to get that rally going. And he played some impressive defense as well, first at second base and then in left field. And he did it despite on that stolen base. I don't know if the cameras picked it up. He got spiked. His shoe fell apart. It like cut through his shoe. He had to get a new uh, cleat put on for later in the game. His foot was hurting. He finished out that game, had to run around on left field and make a couple of plays. Uh, he shouldn't have been hitting sixth in the lineup, but I want to give A. Ray Adrianza some love because he played a very good game for them today. Nelson Cruz did have a leadoff single to left on a 1-2 pitch in the bottom of the ninth, but he is just not giving the Nats nearly enough right now. Last seven games, four for 28 with four singles and two walks. He's right back to not hitting for any power. Uh, what'd you make of the uh, Victor Robles boo-boo in this game? So Victor Robles actually ended up starting all four games in this series. When's the last time Victor Robles started four consecutive games for the Nats? Uh, but Victor in the bottom of the third, one out first pitch opposite field single on a fly ball to no man's land in shallow right field. This was a gift of a hit. And then he gets thrown out at second base, trying to stretch the single 
into a double. How many more of these blunders from Victor Robles do we have to see before he learns? Uh, I think the Nationals coaching staff is asking the exact same question right now. That's the disappointing part. He's not a young player at this point. This isn't Luis Garcia. This isn't, um, you know, somebody just called up from AAA. Uh, There is no reason for him to continue to make the same mistakes. That's the most aggravating thing about him. Until they have a truly better alternative, though, we're going to keep seeing him. And certainly with Soto now dealing with his injury, they kind of have no choice but to have Robles in the lineup. It's disappointing. It is. Uh, Who knows what would have happened in that inning? But you get yourself a single on a little blooper like that, and the play is right in front of him. This wasn't on a base coach telling him what to do. He sees the whole thing in front of him, and he was thrown out easily. There's just no reason for him to attempt to do that. And like you said, this has been going on for years now, and um, there hasn't been a whole lot of evidence of that changing. I think that's the most discouraging part of it. Well, we did get some bad injury news for the Nats on Monday. The good injury news would be that the Juan Soto calf situation doesn't appear to be a serious situation. But the bad news is that the Nats now are minus a starting pitcher. The Nats on Monday morning plays Jackson Tatro on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to July 3rd, with a stress fracture of the right scapula. Remember, Jackson Tatro struggled in his last outing, the 5-3 loss to the Marlins on Saturday, four runs in four innings, and now he's out for at least a little while, and you know, you hear stress fracture of the right scapula. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. That doesn't sound like a 15-day absence. That sounds like a little bit longer than a 15-day absence. So Evan Lee out, Jackson Tatro out, two guys called up from the minors out of necessity more than anything. Now what for the Nats with their rotation? It's a great question. They've got a couple days to figure it out. For now, they were going with an extra reliever in Jordan Weems. They'll need a starter on Thursday. That would be Tatro's spot. I know you're going to be disappointed to hear that Anibal Sanchez will not be ready by then to make his return. Uh, He just threw his rehab, second rehab start on Sunday, so that would be short rest for him uh, to make that one. So I don't think it's going to be him. Josh Rogers is scheduled as of uh, Monday morning, scheduled to make his second rehab start Wednesday for Harrisburg. I suppose they could bump that and maybe bring him back, but it didn't sound like he's ready and he got lit up in his last rehab start at Rochester. So I don't think uh, he's the answer there. Maybe we're going to see Joanna Doan again. The real question here, whether it's you know this week or whether it's coming up beyond that, is Cade Cavalli. I still get the sense that when they make that move, they want to know that it's for good. They want to feel like he is truly ready for this. He's still been pretty inconsistent. I think they want to see a few more quality starts strung together from their top prospect before they bring him up. And even if it's out of necessity, are you going to do that to him to put him out there to make his major league debut at Citizens Bank Park against the Phillies? I'm not sure that's doing him any favors. So my hunch would be, unless they really don't have another alternative, that they will hold off. I think we're getting closer to the point, but I don't think they're going to make that move. Mike Rizzo has said consistently, we don't want to call these up out of, these guys up out of necessity because of what others have done. We want to call them up because they are truly ready for it. Yeah, and the Nats have been monitoring Cavalli's health and his innings workload. He has only pitched in one game for AAA Rochester since June 16th, and he was not lights out in that game, three runs in three innings. You know, he has not had a season at Rochester that demands he be called up. That's kind of disappointing. I mean, I think a lot of people going into the season would have thought that by now, by July 4th, Cade Cavalli would be up at the major league level. That he isn't 
I think is a mild disappointment. Now, it doesn't mean that like he's a lost cause or anything like that, but you know, especially if you remember the way Davey Martinez talked about Cavalli in spring training, he's closer to being major league ready than maybe people think, you know, that sort of a thing, the conversation of, hey, could he actually break camp with the Nats at the major league level? Here we are in July, he's still not at the major league level, and there has been ample opportunity for him to be called up. He has yet to be called up. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe we do see Joanna Doan make another one of these spot starts. I mean, the Nats could always try to go with a bullpen game. We see teams do that, but I don't know if the Nats feel like they're in the position to do something like that. You know, it's always so funny to me, too. These pitching situations, these bad pitching predicaments for the Nats seem to come up at the worst possible times. So the Nats don't have an off day now until next Monday. If they had one coming up, say, on Thursday, you could maybe maneuver some things. It seems like this always happens when the Nats can least afford it. A pitcher going down, and now you're in one of these dicey pitching predicaments, and there's no easy answer for what to do with Jackson Tatro out for what seems like a while. Like I said, this doesn't seem like he's going to be back anytime soon. Yeah, it does feel like this happens every time. And then you have an off day next week that maybe they didn't necessarily need because they have a two-game series with Seattle. Yeah, it's it's uh, annoying. It's just the nature of it. They can't really make the schedule work to your advantage. You just kind of have to deal with whatever it is. But because the All-Star break is coming up, that also makes me think here, they're probably just going to try to get through this for now. Maybe that means a Doan, like you said, maybe it's a bullpen game, maybe reshuffle some things. That would be my guess. And maybe coming out of the All-Star break, you can now align your rotation the way you want. Maybe at that point, Cavalli's had a couple more starts at AAA. And if he has some success in those, you start thinking about it. You know, I do, I feel like they would like to ideally set it up for him to have an advantageous debut, ideally at home. You know, you can only do so much. Sometimes you have to just make it happen when it's time. But I don't think this week coming up with the Phillies and the Braves is really the right time to pull, try to, do, to uh, throw them to the wolves. Probably not. Probably not. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats chat podcast, hit up Tim Shover's Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. Don't forget, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please write a brief one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast. The ratings and the reviews help us out a lot, and we very much appreciate them. Uh, All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we continue now with our look back at the month that changed everything for the Nats, July 2021. And today, we look back at July 4th, 2021, what was a 5-1 loss to the Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park to conclude a four-game sweep for the Nats last July 4th weekend. And the principal item from our post-game podcast for that day has to do with All-Star rosters being announced and Juan Soto going to the 2021 All-Star game and a uh, modest suggestion from our friend Mark for why Juan Soto should enter the 2021 All-Star Home Run Derby. Enjoy. The 2-0. Soto swings and skies one to left center field. This is playable. Pollock and Bellinger battling the sun. Who will take it? Bellinger will. In left center to retire the side. Soto hits a moon-high pop-up and the inning over. A few items here regarding some of the position players who were available to the Nats 
in this series. Juan Soto, and you noted this on Twitter, slammed his bat in frustration after popping up to end the seventh inning on Sunday. We have seen this with Juan throughout this season, him wearing his frustrations, him showing his frustrations visibly. And this was another underwhelming series for Juan Soto. Now, again, he gets on base. He goes one for three with a single and a walk on Sunday. So it's not like he did nothing in the game. In this series, he goes three for 12 with three walks. So three hits, three walks. That's not wretched or anything like that. But all three hits end up being singles. This is yet another instance of Juan Soto hitting for singles, but not hitting for any power. The slugging percentage is down to 431 on the season. The on-base percentage is at 400. You know, we've had this conversation many times. He hits balls hard, but he hits them into the ground. But here we are now, right? Kyle Schwarber's out for the foreseeable future. You've been without Trey Turner lately. If ever there was a time for Juan Soto to catch fire, this is the time. Like, this is when you want your superstar to carry you. And instead, it's this, like, new-look Soto that no one can really get a handle on. It's frustrating him clearly. I mean, he's obviously working at it. But man, for all of the talk about he's got to elevate baseballs, get the launch angle up, et cetera, the problem remains. It's not changing for Soto this year. It's not. You can see the frustration, like you said, on pitches that he knows he should have hit better. That was that one on the pop-up in the seventh inning. You knew that he knew that that was a pitch that he should have been driving hard, some uh, 2-0 pitch that was over the plate. So yeah, it's really frustrating. Maybe, here's a theory kind of out there, maybe a couple of days in the thin, cool Coors Field air at the All-Star game will be what gets him going. And I don't believe he's going to be in the home run derby, and nor that he deserved to be. But maybe that would actually be good, get him to start swing, taking those swings and trying to elevate a ball at high elevation. And you know how they talk about, like, for, like, the Kyle Schwarbers before he got hurt, you don't want him to be in the home run derby because it might mess up your swing. Maybe it could actually fix Juan Soto's swing. Can we try some reverse logic? This is a George Costanza opposite situation. If whatever he's doing has been wrong, then the opposite must be true. So send him out there to Coors Field, let him bat in the home run derby, and maybe that'll fix all his problems. So one of the greatest lines in television history, my name is George, I'm unemployed, and I live with my parents. And it worked. He picked up the girl at the diner. Uh, yes, we will get to the All-Star selections coming up. I actually heard this year at the All-Star game, they're doing a, a double play derby, and Soto's been invited to that. So we'll see. Oh. We'll see how. Oh. Well, no, he's a prime candidate for that. So they want to see like who can hit into the most double plays consecutively. The Nats could have about three guys in that competition. Yeah, he would dominate uh, in that regard. Well, like we said, at least Soto gets on base, okay? A 400 on base is nothing to, uh, to poo-poo. My name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.